This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Learn more at wisetail.com. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from New Lab in Brooklyn. Just saying that because, you know, I'm doing it from Brooklyn, so I get to say Brooklyn again. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez, uh, with us today, the last time for a long time in uh, Stanford. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How you doing? Good. Uh, you're gonna you uh, you're going over to the other coast there for uh, you're gonna do the quarantining family potting thing over there, huh? Yeah, it seemed like the right thing to do. It's exciting though, right? Yeah, I'll get do to see a different place. Show still, but it'll be get nine to see o'clock. people. Get to see oh. people. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, you want to switch to later? No. Yeah. No. No. I, I, you know, for those of you that don't know, Nastasia is up at the at the butt crack at dawn anyway. So. Right. So doesn't matter what time she goes to bed. Yeah. With different reasons though. Like, doesn't matter what time you go to bed, right? You're just like, boom, you're up. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, we have uh, Matt in his Rhode Island hidey hole. How you doing? Mm-hmm. Indeed, I'm doing great. Yeah, and uh, John is also at New Lab, but uh, our membership isn't cool enough to let us get two different rooms, so he is uh, in like a main space. And I didn't go hyper loud on my uh, on my intro, and I didn't do the full thing because I don't know how much people can hear me outside of this little box. And the box I'm in is like heavy on reverb, so I feel like a '50s musician. Like I feel like um, oh boy. I feel I'm not gonna do any like '50s style like crooning stuff, but I definitely feel like I don't know, like I'm in Sun Records, like without the heat and without me being cool. That's how I feel in terms of the reverb levels. You know what I mean? It's like definitely Elvis levels of reverb in here. Anyway, um, I mean, you way, might as well. It's gonna make the rest of the show sound bad, so you might as well do like some nice singing or something at the top to make use of it. Well, that's the thing. I don't know. Like, people can still hear me out here. It's just like mega reverb. It's like, uh, why does reverb make everyone sound better, Matt? In terms of singing, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. But I thought this is. Don't they? Isn't this like audio engineer one hundred and one stuff? Like, what the reverb's for? Well, like, I, but I. But I don't know why we perceive it. I mean, I think it just softens things. I guess so. Like you. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know why everybody prefers it that way. I don't know. Is it when you mess up the tone, it just kind of averages it, or what? that was kind of what that was my instinct was that yeah, it like helps protect the listener's ears from your bad technique is my guess. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, there's only so much of that stuff I can listen to, the, that, like, 50s, like, heavy, heavy reverb stuff. It's like there's only so much of the stereo tricks from the 70s and 60s that I can tolerate. You know what I mean? When I'm listening in mm-hmm. earphones. Stasi, that doesn't bother you, right? The stereo crap doesn't bother you? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Even on headphones? Yeah. Yeah. Like when they're doing that dumb thing where they sit there and they pan back and forth between the, your two ears. You're not like, I don't oh, mind quit that. it. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm like, quit it! Quit it! You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, Glad you found a way to yell, do extra yelling. You got to get your mind yeah, well, on that room, you know? It's the same way with, uh, like, you know, you listen to Mozart and you get all those, like, too many of those, like, little trilly things. And you're like, stop! No? I'm the only guy. It's only me. All right. Uh... I saw someone today, my favorite thing, for those of you that don't know me, I, I, I don't like umbrellas. I'm fine with people using umbrellas, but in New York, the umbrella, the big umbrella out when it's not raining is like a, a severe hazard to my eyeballs. Stas, you're, you're with me on this, right? Yes, especially yeah, yeah. if it's just like sprinkling. Oh yeah, yeah. And also like, for those of you that don't know, like we have laws in New York that they have to do facade repairs so that people don't die from bricks falling and whatnot. And so like at any one time, there's so much scaffolding up at New York in New York because the old buildings, you have to put scaffolding up to protect the people on the ground while they're doing all of this work on the facades that they need to do that's mandated by law. And the, the end result is there's just a lot of scaffolding around New York. And people walking under the scaffolding with umbrellas, man, man, that piss me off. What about you, Stas? Yes, bad, yeah. really bad. So it was raining today in New York, and I'm assuming also in Stanford. Um, yes. But it like it kind of stopped raining, and you're in that point where it's not really raining, and all those idiots still have their umbrellas up, right? I don't mm-hmm. know whether Nastasi probably knows where I'm going. So I'm sitting here, and I had to drive here because I had to bring a bunch of stuff to New Lab for the new Searsall project that we're working on, which Stas will tell me exactly what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not. And... I walked in, I was driving in, I was in traffic, and I saw a big gust of wind and three people at the same time, umbrellas inside out. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love seeing someone's umbrella get turned inside out, don't you? I, don't, I don't think I experience it the same way you do. You <laughs> Not don't? Not the same way. Not no. the same way. <laughs> I wish I did. It sounds great. Well, it's uh. like... Uh, look, listen, I don't want people to think that I'm happy that other people are unhappy. It's just like, you know, when you see somebody, I don't know, and they're doing something that you know that if you were walking next to them, you would get poked in the eye or they would drip some crap on your head, even though you just have a hood on. So you're not taking up any more physical space yeah. on these New York City sidewalks than you absolutely have to take. And you're, yeah, excuse me, I'm sorry. And they're sitting there with this giant umbrella. And when a big gust of wind comes, it goes, pow, and knocks it inside out. You're like, all right. No? Yeah, no, it makes sense. In the context of New York City, where umbrellas like should just be illegal because uh, they're too dangerous, <laughs> it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, like the, the, look, I'll say this also about New York City. So, like, um, biking in New York City during the corona time has been relatively joyous. Now, I don't have, you know, my real bike, so I am riding city bikes, which are, you know, kind of a nightmare. But, like, the people who are in New York have been, by and large, like New Yorkers or people who are used to driving in New York. 
and the bike traffic has actually been lower than it is normally. So biking has been relatively stress-free. And now it is true, and I've mentioned this, uh, you know, part of biking in New York is to get some of your frustration out because you have to kind of be on point all the time because people are trying to kill you and you have to worry about pedestrians stepping out in front of you and blah, blah, blah. But I, like I'm getting a little, remember last week I couldn't figure out anything good to do in New York? Yes. Yeah. Well, I still haven't. Don't worry about that. But, but my point is that, uh, my point is that I feel that more people are coming back into New York because we have a lot more amateurs on the street than we used to because the, like, uh, on a couple of days ago, I was out on the bike and I haven't been almost killed by a car for like months. Right. And two times in one ride, I had people like zooming around, taking the left and trying to kill me. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, part of it is because the um, part of it is because now that we have all of the street dining, it's still kind of ad hoc. And so people are double parking in the place where the left turn lanes are supposed to be. And so then people are just zipping around the left turn and driving through a bike lane and, and trying to kill you. But uh, anyway, so that's my sign that New York is uh, New York is coming back that I almost got. I'm, I'm much more likely to get killed on my bicycle now. So that's it's good news, right? <laughs> things are looking up. Yeah, things are looking up, you know? Uh, all right, so uh, let me get to uh, the questions. Um, so we're working on a lot of new stuff for you guys. When I say a lot of student, new stuff, like two, two and a half new things in terms of Booker Index. And so uh, John and I were sitting here, we had to take our machine shop course. So we're a little bit, you know, right, John? We're a little bit behind in terms of getting ready for the show because we were uh, learning how to program the local CNC machine, uh, which was, it was fun. John, did you have a good time doing that? Yeah, definitely need more practice with it, but excited to be able to use that machine. Yeah. So I will say this, and we can talk about this. So uh, as you all know, the Spinzol, the culinary centrifuge, is a- out of stock. Uh, because the factory won't uh, hasn't you know agreed to make them yet, so we're trying to do it. But John and Nastasia and I are working on a, a new way that we don't have to have that uh, solenoid interlock system because that's one of the things that people kept on breaking. So one of the exciting things is we're going to try to get rid of that on the on the next go around. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, ignore. And also, uh, if you've had a problem with a spinzol where the lights flash because it goes into imbalance mode, uh, we're fixing that too. So if this doesn't mean anything to you, eh, ignore it. Right, John? Yeah. And if your bearing breaks in your lid, hopefully we'll make it replaceable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna try to. We're trying to fix all of the stuff that like could have gone wrong in a generation one unit. Now that we've had this big pause where the factory basically forgot how to make them and they're learning from scratch, we're trying to use that to our advantage to try to change some of the things that we didn't uh, we didn't enjoy. Now, one of the vagaries of building things is that. Uh, you know, there's things that they won't change. Like the t- the way that this works is, is that when you say you're going to make something at a factory, they do a, uh, what's called make a tool for injection molding. And it's a big hunk of, I believe, aluminum for us, big hunk of it. And that's all machined out. So like to change something in the tooling, if you need to do something minor, it's not a problem. But if you need to actually throw away that that big tool and make a new one, that's a complete nightmare. Right, Stas? Huge nightmare. Yes. Huge night. Huge. You would not believe what kind of a nightmare that is. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about the other stuff, right, Stas? No. 
Anyway, soon though. Yep. We might have something to talk about as it gets closer to the Thanksgiving time. We'll know in like a week or two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and we're and by the way, John, you don't know this. We haven't mentioned this, but uh, we're gonna make your life a living hell. Oh, swell. Right. Right. Not, not like it is now, you know, which is all peachy. Right well, it, no, but we're adding mm-hmm. another layer. We add another layer. It's another layer of hell. It's like, remember, there's seven circles and we're uh-huh. nowhere near Judas getting his leg chewed off in, in the pit. You know what I mean? Like we're nowhere near there. Like I would say that right now we're not like at that. You guys read Dante's Inferno ever? A while ago. No. Well, you know how like the first level of hell is not really hell. It's just kind of like where all the Greeks hang out because they, you know, they didn't have bapti- baptism, so Christ couldn't have saved them. But they're not really in hell. They're just kind of chilling in the Elysian Fields era uh, area. You familiar with this? Uh huh. I would say that John, in terms of Booker and Dax, John isn't quite that high up. He's not like at that kind of like. You know, like he's not chilling with Plato and Socrates up there in the Elysian fields, but he's definitely nowhere near Judas getting his leg chewed off all the time. Nowhere near. So, yeah, you got a good number of pits to descend to, John. That's that's so great. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. So uh, I'm a little disappointed in the Cooking Issues crew because Serena wrote in uh, last week on, on email and said, do I have any recommendations for the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, area because she's moving there? And we have not heard anything from you guys. And I'm sure that there is someone who is hearing us who has been to Dallas-Fort Worth and gone out to a good uh, bar and or restaurant in Dallas. Does... does uh, do Chad and Christy still have a bar open in in uh, in in Dallas? They they did. I haven't spoken to them in a while. If their place is still open, anything Chad uh, Chad and Christy do is uh, great. So check that out. But uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, all right. Also, uh, Matt Collins wrote in last week uh, asking about uses for dried camel milk. And uh, I apologize, Matt, I have not come up with any good uses for camel milk, but I did go to a website that was pushing uh, camel milk. They didn't have any compelling reasons why you should want camel milk. They're like, it's milk and it's from a camel. What more do you want to know? And I'm like, well, they're like, it tastes like milk, but like from a camel. I'm like, well, that's not really helpful. I've had camel milk cheese. It was uh, fine. Right? Have any of you guys had any camel milk products? Camel's milk cheese once, but I think that's about it. And what was your memory of it? Uh, it was okay. I mean, I'm glad Fine. I tried it, but I don't know if I'd get it again, yeah. But I don't, yeah, I had the same th- uh, thing with it. I would try it again. I mean, I would eat it. Like, pretty much most cheeses, if someone puts them out. You know what? The one cheese that I've never gotten my, it's not even really cheese. The one cheese I've never learned to really, really enjoy? Yay toast. Don't, just don't love it. You guys familiar with the yay toast? No. Nope. It's that, so like I had a, I had a, a, a trauma with it when I was a child. So it's, you know, a Scandinavian uh, uh, whey-based, whey, whey-based cheese where um, you make the whey-based block, I believe it's whey-based, and then you cook the whole thing until it goes brown all the way through. It becomes sweet 
and it's brown all the way through and you slice it off in like these like you're supposed to I think chip it off and then like heat it on things like in these kind of thin slices so when I was a kid in the 70s like any cheese that was that color was a smoked cheese so like you know like when I was a kid it's like you had real cheeses and then you just had that whole section of the quote-unquote cheese area at, at wherever you were buying them where it was all of those the equivalent of smoked gouda you guys know what I'm talking about that like that color that smoked. you know what I'm talking about or no no. Yeah. All right. So, like, for maybe for you, Nastasia, like a, a smoked scamorza, like that color. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Where it's like okay. it's got it's got like a pellicle on the outside. It's smoked colored. This is what Yetos looks like. So, I buy it, or I have my mom buy it because whatever. I'm seven or eight, and and we bring it home. I'm all excited because I think I'm having some sort of like weird Scandinavian smoked thing, and then when we slice in to get a big piece, I realize. That's not a skin, it's that color all the way through. And then I take a bite of it and it's like real dense and like kind of real dense and fudgy. And I was just like, this is not cheese, I hate this, this, this is the worst, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And then I have not been able to, I should now as an almost 50 year old man, like just go on a yay toast which I think how you pronounce it, G-J, whatever, however you pronounce that. I, I need to go on like a, a, a thing where I'm like, I, I need to like learn to love it. I've tried that with, the only other thing, melons obviously I don't like except for watermelon, but that, you know, is just me. I haven't been able to get myself to like natto. Have any of you been able to get yourself to like natto? No. And you had already left Japan on that, were you, you, were you there for the breakfast when they made me the natto, which I actually enjoyed because basically you couldn't taste the natto as all the other stuff was so delicious? Or no. had you already left Japan? I had already you know, left. Yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, I don't know. So camel's milk cheese was not like that. If it was in front of me, I would eat it. Is there any cheese that you guys wouldn't eat? I don't like blue cheeses. Any blue cheese? No. Hmm. Okay. John? I can't think of anything. I mean, again, like, not a huge fan of the camel's milk cheese, but, I, you know, like, I'm not going to seek it out again. But if it was put in front of me, I'd probably eat it. Yeah. Matt? Uh, I also don't really do the blue, the moldy cheese, the blue cheese, but, you know. Eh. And that's any of those blue cheeses? Uh, I mean, I'll try them, but I just, I don't actually, like, go for it. Also, Chef Joanna, what is she saying in the chat? Something about live maggot cheese? Where'd that window go? Uh, oh, I've uh, never had that. Maru? I've never had that, but uh, my my the only person I know who has actually had it is, is dead. Is my stepfather's <laughs> you know father you know. Um, that, and he you made that you made it sound like those things were connected. And <laughs> no, 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 they're not connected. But I'll never forget, like you know, when he so you know when he went back to uh, he went to tour Italy uh, sometime in the eighties because um, he had actually never been there, which is strange. He went back to the town where his family was from and all this other stuff, you know, where his dad was born. And, uh, and someone there broke open uh, the big cheese and there was the maggots and he was like, yeah, and they just took the bread and they were like, pop, 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 and they, they picked it all up and they, and they ate it. And he would, he would say that like constantly. And so like it always stuck in my head, even as a kid, that there was this thing that existed, but I've never, I've never had it. I mean... I would find it difficult to enjoy it. I mean, I would have to try it, but I would find it difficult to enjoy it. Um, what about you guys? Uh, I think I could do it. 
I've had a bunch I of other. I don't know if I could do it. Some money could you make yourself enjoy it? On the line. I mean, like, do this. I don't know. Like, the other one that's weird is there is a there is a cheese that comes from right near the um, Austrian uh, Italian border, uh, where they take that's a, a, something similar to Quark, which is a soft cheese, and then they just incubate it with cheese mites. And then it isn't like a mimolette where there's like a hefty mite layer. It's mites all the way through. It's just mites. Cheese mites only. Only cheese mites. Uh, I forget the name of it, uh, but uh, I would eat that before I would... I, I would take a big old bite of cheese mite cheese because I eat cheese mites constantly. You know what I mean? Like, I, like cheese mite doesn't bother me. But it's like... Uh, I would probably, like in in order, I would do the cheese mite cheese way before I would, you know, with gusto pound a, you know, a whole bunch of the maggoty cheese. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. I missed I missed what this was in response to, but 91 Alex is in the chat saying Norwegian here. You are definitely not supposed to heat Brunost. Or how, that's how you pronounce it? I have no idea how to pronounce What are you supposed I, to do with it? Ask him what the hell what, you're supposed to do with it. How do I learn how to like this stuff? Help me out. Alex, what, are you, what, are we, what are we supposed to do with this? All right. So we'll wait for him to get back. And so then I will uh, – the reason I was going – the reason this was a good segue from uh, Chef Joanna with the, Mike, with the uh, maggot cheese is on the blue cheese, I know Nastasia hates conceptually – I won't even say the S word mold, – mold in general, right? Is, is it part of that or is it the taste or both? It's the taste. It's more the taste. Mm. Yeah. Same. All right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you don't mind, you don't mind like a, a a moldy layer on the outside of your salumi, right, Stas? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, all right. Cool. And I can't ask Matt that because uh, he doesn't eat salumi. I do not. Yeah. Although, when when did it become that we, as a group of people here, would use the word salumi instead of what I grew up with was cold cuts? You gonna get a cold cut platter? Yeah, I'm gonna get a cold cut platter. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Uh, uh, okay, wait. We got two. We got two uh, people from Scandinavian countries weighing in here. All right, uh, give it to me. In Sweden, we use brunost slash mesost as a spread on sandwiches. And then 91 Alex comes back with, uh, I'm I'm so sorry about all this pronunciation. Uh, guy, gay toast, guy toast just means goat cheese. Brunost, brown cheese is what it's called. I don't like it myself, but people he, just put it on their bread with butter and often some sort of jelly like strawberry or raspberry. Yeah, it's just not for me. That's also like, are, are you guys cream cheese and jelly people? No. Mm, yeah, it's okay. Oh. Yeah, I mean, okay. I can eat it. I can eat it, but I'm never like, you know what I really want to do? I want to get a bagel and cream cheese and some jelly. It's like I also don't eat cinnamon raisin bagels. I mean, I will eat a cinnamon raisin bagel. I'm not saying that I find it repellent, but, but you know, like I, I have not had a cinnamon raisin bagel in probably 20 years. You guys? Are you sweet bagel? My wife gets like egg and cheese sandwiches on cinnamon raisin bagel. And I just think that's scandalous. That's perverse. Yeah. That's right? perverse. If I had known it before we got married, I mean. It would have been a, that's a, that's over. Yeah. No. Egg and cheese on cinnamon raisin, huh? Hey, look, to each their own. The one thing I'm learning is, is that, you know, there's a, in, in life, there's a lot of different opinions out there. What do you think about uh, cinnamon raisin egg and cheese does? I could do it. 
Yeah? Would yeah. you enjoy it or would you just be able to do it? I'd enjoy it. Okay. All right. And do you like a cinnamon raisin bagel in, in general? Yeah. Yeah. Now, a cinnamon raisin bagel, here's the thing. So, like, is there a difference with a cinnamon raisin bagel over what kind of style you like? Styles, you're more of a puffy bagel person, right? Not a, yeah. not a hard, yeah. So I think, like, if you're a puffy bagel person, I think you're more likely to like a cinnamon raisin bagel because I think a cinnamon raisin bagel probably shows better in a puffy bagel style. True. It's a, a guess. Uh, all right. So, by the way, I haven't heard anything that's going to make me run out and get this brown cheese and, like, because, like, none of that stuff is stuff that I would normally do. I guess you also have to slice it really thin. Someone's got to get, get back to me on the brown cheese thing of some reason why we should, uh, we should be doing it. All right. Uh, now, uh, Brian Cotty wrote in. Uh, Cotty? Isn't it Brian Crotty? I don't remember. Did you get that off the email right? Anyway. Uh, hey, Dave and the crew. Love the show. Looking to make chewing gum with juniper flavor. My goal is to eventually make a gin and tonic gum inspired by the three-course dinner gum from Willy Wonka. Well, if it's inspired by the three-course dinner, you got to have three different cocktails in it. Three different cocktails. Can't do one, right? And the, I don't know whether anyone has yet figured out... Uh, they haven't. Like because otherwise someone would have done this already, right? Like a, a clean flavor release whereby like the first 10 chews, you, you cleared one flavor through and then only then the rest became soluble. No one, no one's figured that out. But that would be kind of cool. You would, you would do that. I mean, if we could make that, we already would have made that, right, Nastasia? Right, yes. Yeah. So anyway, so we're, we're on the gin and tonic uh, thing. Not, not three courses, but I get it. Inspired by, because it's a great movie. Who do I know that doesn't like that movie? Don't know. There's someone I know. It's not one of us, right? I don't have no. to cut any of you guys off, right? <laughs> no, it's not me. I didn't do it. I'm just saying, like, if you don't like the original Willy Wonka, like, you don't like Gene Wilder? You don't like, I don't, what, I don't understand how not to like it. There is someone I know, maybe someone in my family who doesn't like it, and I just don't understand it. Someone, give me a plausible reason why you would not like that movie. Oompa Loompas are too scary. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm sure there is a plausible reason because someone who's close to me, I can't remember who it is, doesn't like it, but whatever. Uh, I'll figure it out eventually. Okay. The ingredients for Five Gum. Is Five Gum a brand of gum that you guys are familiar with? Don't know. No, I think so. Uh -uh. No. All right. Me neither. Uh, the ingredients for Five Gum are Sorbitol, Gum Base, Glycerol... Yeah. What? No, I, I recognize the brand. I recognize the packaging. It's in like is a it, lot of gas it, stations. It's, yeah, it's pretty popular. Gas station gum? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that, uh, is that uh, John's uh, subtle put down? Gas station gum. No, you know I mean, well, likes... you buy gum. I mean, I don't remember the bodega. bodega? Yeah. Oh, speaking of bodegas, uh, uh, we'll get back to it. Uh, bodegas are Manitou... the gas stations of the city. It's a gas station. That's oh, dude, I don't agree because you have a personal relationship with your bodega. You don't have a personal relationship, I don't think, with your gas station unless you're, unless it's freaking Gomer Pyle and it's like freaking Andy Griffiths. But who lives like that? I mean, when I when I used to live in a gas station, it's like I mean, sorry, when I used to live in a, in the suburbs. It's been so many years since I've lived in the suburbs that I can't even remember what, how, how to speak about it. But it's like, you, you go to the gas station. I self-serve anyway because I'm cheap and I don't live in New Jersey. 
And uh, because also I don't want to deal with humans. Do you want to deal with a human being, Nastasia, when you're getting your gas? Uh, pumping it? No. No. Nah, no. Nah. Why? Because do, do you not trust, like a little bit of me doesn't want them to like sit there and go shoop, 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 shoop at the end. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the only time I've ever felt in danger while having gas put in my car was at one of those uh, New Jersey pumps because I like taking me out of the equation, I forgot to turn the engine off and this guy just starts filling my car up. It's like- but They don't care. Uh, I Look, mean, I, the I would never do that to myself. It was way less. And they, they claim safety is part of the reason for doing this. It's insane. Okay, listen, I want someone to call me out on this and tell me like, you know, Zoolander aside, which has the best gasoline fight like uh, <laughs> ever in it. And like, you know, one of the classics of movies is the gasoline fight from Zoolander. But I mean, here's the real, in the real life, right? You pull up to your, to the gas pump, right? And there's a gas pump right on the other side of you. And there's a gas pump right behind you, right? And you're sitting there pumping gas and person drives up right behind you and sticks their motor right in your butt while you're pumping gas and you don't blow up. Am I right? I mean, there's other people with running motors everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, and not only that, but like they let you, which is crazy, like pump gas into a bucket. You know, you could take your the thing, stick it into a bucket and pump gas into it, right? So it's like, I get like not smoking when you're doing that because have you ever, have you ever lit a gas fire, Matt? No. Okay. When you're lighting a gas fire, like, and they, all the time in the movies, I think they get this wrong. Like they dump gas all over somebody or something, and then they sit there talking about how they're going to light that person on fire or thing on fire for a long time. There's conversations and like, you know, and then, you know, you see the person throw the match and it's like, no, and then they try to put out the match right before it hits the person. Yeah, yeah, no. Here's what gas does. Gas vaporizes and makes a giant explosive cloud around whatever it's poured on. So if you dump gas on the ground or on your enemy or whatever and sit around like shooting the breeze for a while before you decide to light a match, you're going to get a big old fireball like of uh, fire in, in, you know, in your face, right? So it's like open containers of gas or like big spills of gas on the ground are like soup dupe dangerous. You know what I'm saying? But at a gas station, like, have you ever seen that happen? No. On movies? No. Well, in Zoolander, and again, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and you should not smoke near, uh, obviously, near a gas station. But uh, how do we get on the gas station? Oh, we're talking about knowing your gas station uh, person. Anyway, I feel like you don't know them like you know your bodega. That's all. Anyway, and the only person I know, uh, so like I, I know that there are whole cultures in the United States and elsewhere where it's like your gas station also has like the good barbecue or the good whatever, but it's like up here where, you know, in the Northeast, if you come from one of those places where a gas station maybe is known for having good food, not here, okay? Like 
up here in the Northeast, the gas station doesn't have good food. So like one of the things that we used to like to make fun of, uh, you know, Peter Kim about, you know, uh, you know, director emeritus uh, of the uh, Museum of Food and Drink and, you know, friend of ours, friend of the show, was that he would go into a gas station and buy a moldy egg salad sandwich. Who buys an egg salad sandwich at a, at a, at a, at a gas station? Notices it's moldy and eats it anyway. Remember that, Stas? That's not true. He took the mold off and then put it in the tray that it came in. And then he ate the sandwich and then he looked down, saw there's still a piece. He ate that and he was like, oh crap, I ate the mold. That's how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he was like, mm. Well, I mean, like, I think it's a pretty aggressive move to buy the egg salad sandwich at a gas station, yes. first of all. Like, it, you, know, you know, he claims it was his uh, years in the Peace Corps that makes him immune to any sort of stuff. Although, uh, I don't care how much Peace Corps you did, aflatoxin is aflatoxin all day long. And you're like, you know, yeah, he's powered through that sandwich and was – and the thing is, is that remember he tried to make us feel bad for thinking it was kind of crazy, right? Yeah. That was a great trip for you, Nastasia. Great trip. That was the best trip ever because that was the egg salad. That was the bathroom incident. Yep. Which we which we won't go through again. Mm-hmm. And it was also when Peter insulted that whole uh, town. It was incredibly mean to that uh, to that poor student. Anyway. Yep. It was like the it was the that was the best work day of your of your life maybe. <laughs> yes, maybe. This episode is brought to you by Wise Tale. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Wisetail is a state-of-the-art learning management system built to engage and empower your workforce. With a modern user interface and intuitive course authoring capabilities, Wisetail has helped hundreds of businesses achieve their growth goals. Plus, Wisetail has experts on call to help you bring your vision to life with their world-class client success team. Come see how Wisetail's award-winning training platform can go to work for you. As a special offer, HRN listeners are eligible for their first month free. Learn more at wisetail.com hrn. That's wisetail.com hrn. W-I-S-E-T-A-I-L dot com slash H-R-N. Terms and conditions apply. Visit their website for more details. Uh, all right, we're back on the gum. So sorbitol, gum base, glycerol, mannitol, natural and artificial flavors, and then less than 2% of hydrogenated starch hydrolysate, which I didn't get a chance to look up, sorry. Uh, aspartame, you know what that is. Uh, as uh, asulfame K, which is, those are both artificial sweeteners, which you won't have to deal with if you don't want to use artificial sweeteners. Um, soy lecithin and uh, BHT to maintain freshness. Colors, blue number one, uh, lake blue and red 40. All right. I see some sugar alcohols, but I don't know what gum base is or how, uh, how to source it. All right. Uh, I'm going to answer this first. Go to modernistpantry.com and just buy the gum base. 
Uh, they used to sell it, I'm sure they still do. If not, I think Chef Rubber sells it. In the old days, um, it used to be natural, so it's from chicle, so the, 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 the plant, chicle, which is also makes a fruit, which is I think one of the sapodillas, but I'm not sure, or sapotes, one of those things, is a chicle tree. You score it, the resin comes out, uh, and they make original chicle was from that. And from chi the word chicle comes chiclet. And so, uh, you know, you know, chiclets, which, do you guys use chiclets as a gum or, or is that just a childhood thing? Uh, childhood thing for me. Yeah. What'd you say? Childhood. Childhood, all right. Uh, it's kind of an unfortunate shape, right? I mean, it's like, it's never enough. Like you can't just eat one, like one chiclet isn't enough to like freshen you or do anything. It's like, you kind of like, I I'm a bigger fan of the strip shape of gum. You guys? Yeah. 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 Uh, so anyways, so the original person who I believe was from around here somewhere is like some sort of, I'm getting a kind of a Brooklyn mental vibe out of this person, but I can't say for certain because I didn't look up the history before I came on the show. So it was one of those situations where literally dude had a huge vat of this, uh, this chicle, like latex resin that he, not latex, you know, resin stuff, chicle that he had. And he's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? One of those kind of situations. And he added flavor to it and sugar and was like, oh, now people could chew on this. And there's a long, long history of people chewing on tree exudates. For instance, uh, the sweet gum, liquid ambar styracophula, makes a, something you can chew on. You can chew on uh, Kios Mastica, which is the, you know, the resin, uh, gum mastic uh, resin. You can chew on that. And because that stuff, because the resin is not water soluble, whatever flavors in it that is water soluble will get slowly released into your mouth. And then the resin, you just keep chewing on it until you get sick of it or until you get a headache. Is there anything worse than not being able to spit out gum because of where you are? And then you get that headache from over chewing. You guys know what I'm talking about? No. No. Never got as soon as the flavor is, as soon as the flavor is gone in the gum, and Harold McGee has a lot to say when he comes on. Harold McGee's coming on in November when his book comes out, by the way. He, he agreed I to that, I guess. I thought he's coming next Tuesday. Oh, is he? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have him on it. whenever. I thought, I thought he was going to wait until the book came out, but... No, I think Whatever. I mean, I'm happy to have him on anyway, but we could talk to him. So one of his favorite stories is that there was a guy who uh, was a kid during World War II and noticed that and, and gum was constantly running out. So what he noticed was, you know, because it was this, they didn't have it, is that if you took the gum and you chewed it until the flavor was gone, and then you added a little bit of sugar to the gum, the flavor, the mint flavor would come back. And it's all about the way your mind integrates flavors that are already there. So like once the sweetness is gone and you've already had the mint flavor in your mouth for a while, assuming it's mint gum, you're, you can no longer perceive the mint even though it's there. And if you hit it with a little bit of sugar, your mind reintegrates the mint and the mint pops up, which is one of, you know, it, it's one of the stories that, um, you know, Harold always liked to used to tell it at the classes when we teach him. Anyway, any hoo-ha. So, uh, so now, the gum base that you buy now is not typically from Chicle. It's synthetic, and I don't know what they make it out of, but everyone buys the same one. And then you just get your flavorings, and you don't have to use, uh, you know, aspartame and all that. You can use, you know, sugar. And then you, uh, you basically heat it in a microwave, and it, and it melts. And then you stir in all of your stuff, and if it gets too... Uh, uh, 
cold, you just nuke it for a second again, and then you roll it out uh, like a dough. And so, you know, then you can dust in between with like cornstarch powdered sugar or something like this, uh, and then you roll it out, and then when it gets cold, you cut it into gum strip shapes, and then there you go. It's it's easy peasy, and like I say, last time I checked, Modern's Pantry sold the gum base, and if not, Chef Rubber probably sells it. Um, that, uh, and the rest of the stuff you don't need to worry about. You know, if you want to add coloring, add coloring to it. You know, do, you do you. Um, that answer the question, guys, or no? Yep. Yeah, all right. Um, my earphones are strangely running out. Okay. You guys still hear me or no? Yep. Yep. All right. And we have someone, oh, from Pittsburgh, because I know because they, uh, they went in with the yins. I've never met an actual, I know some people from Pittsburgh, but I've never met someone who is an actual yins person. Have you guys actually met a yins person? I know what that is. So, like, you know how, like, in, like, some parts of New York, New Jersey, Staten Island, whatever, you use, you use guys? Oh, okay, yeah. Pittsburgh yins. Oh. It's like a thing. And so, like, if you're from there, you know. Uh, but if you don't, you know, if you don't, you, do you know what? Uh, anyway, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, how you doing? It's been a while. What's the deal with chamber stoves? Uh, my wife and sister-in-law both claim they're wonderful things uh, and that they should get them and it is worth the many thousands of dollars and will cook things so well. I feel like if they were so great, I would have heard of them sometime in the last 41 years. I would have seen them in one of the thousands of houses I've been in over the years. I figure they must be terrible. Tell me who's right. Thanks, Zach from Pittsburgh. Well, Zach, I... Uh, I have to say I enjoy the way you pose that question. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, all, <laughs> I, I like, uh, I love, I do this all the time, and I think it always, you know, if, if you want a particular answer, it always helps to shade it in the direction you want to go, right? This is like another thing I've always said, like when you're doing, um, like the big difference between doing food demonstrations and actually serving people food like in a restaurant situation is that in a food demonstration, I get to tell them that they're gonna like it beforehand. And so it makes it a lot easier to kind of go outside of people's comfort zones. Uh, anyway, uh, and also like uh, Riedel, you know, is, is it Riedel or Riedel? It's Riedel, right? The glassware people, it's Riedel actually, cause it's R, it's I-E, anyway. So, um, I was at a, a seminar once given by, I think he's dead now, but like the, the, the elder was the elder in, in the Riedel family. And he gave this amazing demo about, because I, I don't know if they, do they still push Riedel glasses based on the individual shape makes the individual wines taste better? I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, that that yeah, was the yeah. shtick, and, and and you know, and for a long time, and maybe still for all I know, I haven't been glass shopping in a long time, people still kind of like, they still sell them this way was that you needed to have like an like a huge number of different glasses in your house because each individual glass was tailored to each kind of wine and Riedel came out also with a bunch of spirits based glasses where they did the, the same thing and I went to a presentation that Riedel did and by the way I like Riedel glassware it's it's good I, I have it in my house I use it right? I, I don't have a billion them. different well well because my name's Nastasia and I have my monocle you need to get us the monocles we're gonna do the monocles and you never did Zalto is definitely the, a monocle move. Zalto is definitely. It was a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. Oh, nice. Are you taking those to California with you? You're going to use like uh, uh, no, jelly I'm jars when you go storage. out there. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I use Zaltos. I would not. 
I would not be near. By the way, Riedel has a more expensive line of hand-blown stuff. And I think I said this on the air. The guy, I, I once interviewed the son. This is like 20 years ago. I interviewed the son, who's probably now running the company. And he took two of their more expensive hand-blown glasses, and he clinked them together. And he goes, that is the sound of money. And then he just stepped away, and I was like, hmm, I'm going to use that someday. I don't know for what, because everything we have is like the sound of the sound of despair, right? Everything we clink together, Stas, is like, that's the sound of nothing much happening, right? Of the <laughs> anyway. spins all breaking. That's the sound of the spins all breaking. It's fine. Um, anyways, so where was I on this? Oh, so yeah, so the, the, the Elder Riedel, like, the, oh, the Elder no. Riedel had this had this thing where he would walk you through the different glasses. So there was all these glasses there that, you know, he had, and he would walk you through tasting it. And like at the end, you literally believed you could only drink bourbon out of the bourbon glass and you could only drink scotch whiskey out of the scotch whiskey glass. And that if you did anything else, you would be insulting the spirit. You know what I mean? He was a genius at getting you to go where, so I have no idea whether or not anything he's saying was actually true just because he was so good at getting people to know what was going to happen. Now back to the chamber uh, stove. I have never used a chamber stove. I have never seen a chamber stove and I had to Google what it was as did John, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, for those of you that don't know, Chambers was a stove. They had a patent a long time ago in, I think, the teens or 20s of the last century. And um, the, the main shtick, and they were manufactured almost continuously up until the 1980s. They then went out of business. Someone tried to resurrect them again in the early 2000s. And then I believe they were resurrected again in 2015. This is all according to the Wikipedia. But the shtick, the shtick of the chambers was that it was extremely well insulated. So I'll say this. In general, there are two main strategies for how to operate. One is you build, you get a huge, huge thermal mass. And then you just take a lot of energy and you heat it up. And then that leaks energy out constantly and you keep adding energy. And that's how you make everything stay at a nice, constant, rock-solid temperature, right? So uh, most big, like, kitchen stoves like a Multaney or a Bonet or you know anyone like that what's the other like Heston right it's just huge chunks of metal they throw a whole bunch of gas into it and it's just hot as hell right that's how like French tops work which you might call a flat top or whatever what do you like John you like French top flat top what do you call it flat top I call, we've always called it French top but it's silly yeah all right whatever you guys know what I'm talking about right anyway so the chambers was a little bit different. The chambers had extra insulation in it. And their idea was, is that the fire was, uh, also at, uh, the fire I think was not exposed, which was kind of new for that time. So I don't know how many people still have a gas stove with gas where you can see the gas running. I used to have one. I found an old, uh, for maybe like five, six years, I used a, an oven that I'd found on the street, on 38th Street, that someone had kind of thrown out and it was from the like 30s and it was all enameled. It was kind of beautiful. They had knocked the legs off. So I had it on bricks. Talk about unsafe, right? It had no thermostat. So you would just sit there and adjust the gas level inside like you would for a range 
for the oven. It was kind of hardcore. So the Chambers oven goes back to when that's how people were operating their ovens. So it had a thermostat in it, ooh, right? And then they would turn the gas on, in a, I believe in a separate box, heat the oven up, and then when the gas turned off, they would close the damper so it wouldn't lose heat. So it was all about keeping the heat inside the uh, oven. Uh, so presumably, I guess it would use less gas and it would also uh, insulate better um, so they wouldn't get your kitchen as hot. They then had a bunch of other uh, things they added, like wells that you could cook soup in without having a lot of uh, energy escape. They also, all of them had griddle tops or flat tops uh, that you could use, which I actually, I love a, I love a griddle top. I know a lot of people don't like necessarily having a griddle top, but if you do a lot of that kind of cooking, griddle top is nice, nice. Um, anyway, and they had a lot of kind of cool features that made them kind of cool. And I think they became cool again recently because I think Rachel Ray, it said on the Wikipedia, like uses one and loves it. So I don't really know why you would want one now as opposed to a thoroughly modern unit. But um, people seem to like them. They, they look nice. I've never used one. Is that a decent answer? Is that okay? Digital audio tapes in the chat and said, I used a chamber stove for a bit. The extra insulation helped with making pizza. Oh, because you could get it hotter? I, that, I believe that was the implication. So what I used to do there is just bypass the thermostat. And if you, like, don't do this. Please don't do this. <laughs> but uh, you bypass your thermostat and turn it back into a straight pipe oven machine again. And the problem with this is, is that it's easy to go overboard. So, like, I got in big trouble because I scorched one of my cabinets because... Uh, I mean, nothing's going to happen to the oven. The oven's going to get up to, you know, 800 degrees, no problem. But um, again, I don't know how high one of these chambers can, can go. But that's a, it's a good point. That, I don't know, though. Like, if you're going to do just that, though, maybe, maybe like I would, I would get a normal oven and then spend the extra several thousands of dollars on getting like, you know, a pizza oven that you could have in addition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just saying. The other thing is, is that I, the chambers, like most newer ovens, what's if you are going to get a new oven anytime in the next like 10, 15 years, like it's better have like, you know, um, like a super convection. Look, I hate the term air fry. I know I've said this before. I hate air fry. But the actual function where they have a much faster convection is great. Right, and if also like a steam injection, if you, like anything that's going to allow you to do steam injection or to have anything that approaches like an impingement oven or a fast air convection, like that's the future for sure. You know what I mean? Whether quartz is the future, I don't know, but like that's definitely the future for sure. And also, I think more and more people are going to kind of have their big oven that they use for standard stuff, and then they're going to get the whatever the current equivalent of, like, you know, a Breville Smart is. Because it just, they're not that big. They don't heat up your kitchen that much. And because they're small, it's kind of easier for them to get up to those, like, temperatures quickly and kind of stay there. So they take a lot less energy and a lot more efficient. I have to be honest. I do, I do 80 to 90, uh, well, in the summer, 100%. But like even the rest of the time, most of the time I don't crank up the big oven unless I'm doing sheets of cookies or something big like a like a turkey. I mean, I'm mainly using a small uh, a smaller thing like a, uh, like the Breville Smart Air, but it's bi it's big for a toaster oven, but it's relatively small. Um, when you had both, what, what, those of you that have both, what do, what do you use more often? To uh, toaster oven. 
toaster oven? Yeah. yeah. I remember a time when the toaster oven was like kind of like a novelty. People didn't really care about the the toaster oven. It wasn't seen as like a legitimate like cooking implement. It was just there for reheating and for toasting. And I think over the past 10 years, it's really kind of come in, into, into its own. You know what I mean? Um, Remember that guy who wanted to uh, turn his regular toaster sideways and and put the pizza in it? Yeah. I wonder what happened with that. I need to hear back from them on whether their pizza was any good. You know what I mean? Uh, Stas, do you like a regular toaster or do you like a toaster oven when you have them? Uh, I've never owned a toaster oven. I like toasters. You like toasters? Yeah. What what style of toaster do you are you like do you like a fancy toaster like a dual lit or like any old toaster like a Hamilton Beach what's your toaster feeling? <laughs> no, we just had like an old one at home, like a like an old old one. So I don't really know. I haven't had one since home. How much do you hate when like someone puts something in the toaster and it sticks into the thing and then you can't get it out and it touches the element and then it, you, get, you see that one wisp of smoke and you know you're hosed. You know you're ruined at that point because you know you're not going to get it out in time and then you're trying to gouge the thing out while My it's, mom while it's, would like, use smoking. a fork and I was so scared. You should have been scared. We had this conversation, I believe, when we were talking about the person reheating the pizza. Yeah. It, it, that thing's electrically live. It's like the pizza person operation. did not try it. Why you ask a question if you're not going to try it? Because they want to have their name read on the air. They want to have their name read on the air. Listen, by next week, I want you to put a piece. Why am I saying this? Don't put the pizza in the toaster. Dave, shut up. Shut up. I feel like you're trying pretty hard to have him not do this. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. I know. He listened. The reason he didn't do it is because he listened to the show. I'm such a moron. I'm such a moron. (laughs) I can't help it. I'm sorry. Uh, Peter Ross writes in, and John, you're going to have to answer this question. Uh, hi there. I've read that using low ABV, that's alcohol by volume, low ABV spirits in a Spinzol is bad news. Is that true? Uh, I've never heard that. You heard that, uh, John? I have not heard that either. What would be the reason? I don't know. Maybe high ABV spirits? Can well, you do? Okay. So super high ABV spirits, the problem is going back to the gas fire portion of the show is that um, it becomes a it becomes an issue if you're doing very high alcohol spirits that you're creating an alcohol vapor cloud which can be dangerous especially if you're a smoker so i.e. if you're using it in Europe just kidding Europe um, but it's like uh, so I know I don't recommend high ABV spirits for that reason. And also, if you're using alcohol, you really want to make sure that it's cold, again, so that you're not volatilizing. And also, the warmer the alcohol is, the more um, alcohol will evaporate off. So you know, one of the main things that you're looking for when you're spinning alcohol in the spinzol or in any centrifuge, not just our centrifuge, but any centrifuge, is that um, you want to prevent the alcohol from vaporizing because it lowers the ABV. Now, one of the problems you might have for certain techniques in the spinzol is that um, when you're, let's say you're doing something like a banana justino where you're blending a liquor and a banana or anything really, and you're spinning out the solids, because there's liquid in the banana, you're lowering the proof of the alcohol. Right, and so what you're doing is you're lowering the stability. So maybe what people are saying when, about centrifuging low alcohol products is that um, the alcohol level becomes even lower when you add whatever you're adding to it, and therefore it's no longer stable. And that's 100% valid. But you got to remember, we 
we centrifuge 0% alcohol stuff constantly, and it works great. So it's not going to affect the outcome, but it maybe affect the stability. You think maybe that's what they're talking about? Uh, yeah, hopefully. If not, Peter, email us back or you know, DM us on Instagram again, and we can clarify. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, uh, Young Cognac wrote in. And I have to say, from here on out, I have not actually read the whole question. So we're just going to go blind. This is whatever knowledge I have. Remember when uh, we had Matt from Kitchen Arts and Letters on, and I just threw random questions at him, and he knew the answer? That was pretty impressive, I thought. Mm -hmm. I, I thought it was impressive. So we'll see whether I can do that to uh, this question or whether or not I get Also, you got to use the two-minute rule here because uh, we got we to go pretty soon. It's already one right. something, right? Yeah, but we started late. All right. Uh, I'm trying hard to milk wash with banana ice cream. Uh, it won't adhere. What do you mean? I'm trying hard to milk wash with a banana ice cream. It won't adhere. What to do? I switch. Do I switch to banana milk? I'm trying to wash this horribly hot rum. I get so close. It curdles beautifully. And then when I go to strain it, I'm still left with a milky, cloudy result, even with coffee filters, cheesecloth, and a nut milk bag. That's my favorite word. Uh, 50% loss and still far from clear result and I'm unhappy with it and it's uh, you know you know my Wesley Willis I'm unhappy with it and it pissed me off um, alright I would guess I don't know if it curdles beautifully um, one thing you can do is uh, and you got your timer going Stas I thought that worked well we didn't do it this week yeah that's true well, we, we also yeah. didn't get the questions until deep deep into right. the show so it's fine yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So like uh, a oh. couple of things. One, ice cream is stabilized, right? So one of the problems you might be having is uh, because of the stabilization of it from the locust bean, the guar, carrageenan, gelan, whatever system they're using in the ice cream, uh, that might be causing you problems. So banana milk might be better. Um, the other thing is obviously if the banana has any starch, it's you know, it's going to stay hazy no matter what. But what you're saying is you're getting a very low yield. Not just that it's not clear, but you're getting a very low yield. Um, and so your curds probably uh, aren't uh, hard enough. I would maybe add a little more uh, acidity. And the other thing is, is that in, it, 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 I would, I know that the, the problem with milk washing in general is that um, after you do it, if you're going to use it in a shaken drink, you need to use it within a week, right? So your shelf life is somewhat limited, not in terms of safety, but in terms of how long it's going to foam. If you're not going to use it to foam, though, you have a long, long time. Then time is your friend. Then I would break it, and I would just put it into a tall, round thing, not square, because if you use square, as soon as you pick it up and turn it, it'll kick up stuff. And I would just let it sediment for like two days, and then just pour the stuff up off the top, this should drastically increase your yield. And if it's not dropping a lot, then I would add wine finding agents to get it to adhere harder and drop more. That's what I would, that's what I would do. Is that a good uh, two minute answer, guys? Great. Yes, you still have right. 30 seconds. Well, I, I don't have anything else to say now because I already, you know. I tried to wrap my head. What? I was letting He's, you know. He, ba he banks that time right. for a future question to be named. This, this, is like the, this is like the hearings for the, uh, for the Supreme Court. Oh, geez, Louise. Um, oh, by the way, I appreciate this from Alexander. Uh, Alexander uh, Tailguard wrote in, and it's it, I would not have pronounced uh, his name right because it's T-E-I-L. I would have said Tailguard. So thank, thankfully, 
wrote in, this is Alexander uh, Tailguard, like the English uh, word tail and then guard, hope that makes sense. Uh, thanks for your answers last week, and I'm sorry I assumed your hesitation on saying how to make the poker was due to American safety concerns. Uh, I do have a follow-up I hope you can answer. I did receive my cartridge heater, so cartridge heater, so the things that I use to make red-hot pokers are a thing called a cartridge heater. They're like kind of round sticks of burning hell, and what they're for in the real life is you, let's say you're making um, a piece of equipment and you have, you have to have a block of metal be real hot. You bore a hole into the block of metal and then you tap in one of these cartridge heaters and this like cartridge heater then heats the whole block of metal. That's what they're for. Um, and you get the McMaster car supply or other places. Um, okay, uh, I have my, uh, where is it? I have my cartridge heater and it is stainless steel 321. I'm not concerned about it melting into my drink. Yeah, but what you should be concerned about is that the temperatures you're gonna be running it, it's gonna oxidize like a mother. Like stainless, the ones I use have, uh, I believe, Inconel uh, sheaths on them and they don't oxidize nearly as much as the stainless will at that, at that high temperature because stainless steel, for any of you that have a Searsol, right? Um, the, the, one of the reasons the front thing is Conthol which is a, you know, the rear one's palladium coated like, uh, like a 693 super metal, which is amazing, but the, it's amazing metal. I've been running so many tests recently, so this is like right in what I'm thinking about. The front one's Conthol. The reason you can't use stainless there is because at high temperature, stainless um, will oxidize. And once it oxidizes, it basically just vaporizes like a vampire when you stick a, when you, when you stick a stake through its heart. By the way, you guys seen uh, Vampires versus the Bronx? No. So Vampires versus the Bronx is uh, centers around this uh, vampires invading the Bronx. And my son Dax was like, it's like Attack the Block in America, but it's not. I mean, obviously the people who made this have seen Attack the Block, but it's not like Attack the Block. Kid Miro from Jesus and Miro is in there and he's in a, he runs a bodega. This is back to the bodega section of the show, right? And uh, and this goes back to D my son Dax, even though we're from the Lower East Side and we're not from like Harlem or anywhere else like this, right? He's become obsessed with the chopped cheese sandwich, which I know we've talked about on the air, which did not exist when I was a kid, right? And even when in the 90s, when I lived like close to West Harlem, right? When I lived in Morningside Heights, right? It wasn't a thing over there. It was still at that point confined to kind of East Harlem where it was originated at Haji's uh, Deli, which is, where is that, John? Do you remember? Like 109th and 2nd, I think. Somewhere around there, yeah. And I never used to go that far over because we were over like 125th over on the on, – way on the west side near the 24-hour McDonald's. Anyway, so uh, chopped cheese, for those of you who don't know, you, you take your, your hamburger meat – you put it on your flat top, uh, your griddle, and uh, you know raw onions and you know whatever spices you you know salt, pepper, whatever spices you're gonna add. Then you also I think raw onion and sometimes like chopped up pepper, whatever. And then you, when you flip it, you put the cheese, it melts it, and then you hash it all, you hack it all together, like cross hatch it all together, and you put it on like you know kind of a bodega like roll, hero roll, you know what I mean? And you eat it. Anyway, my son Dax is now obsessed with these, even though again he's from the Lower East Side. And uh, in the, and this is why you have to become friends with your bodega person because you have to know, you have to become a condescenti of this sort of thing to understand whether your chopped cheese is good or not. And again, I'm not part of the culture, so I don't know what I'm talking about. However, uh, one of the fun, this is almost a comment on 
gentrification is like vampires coming into your neighborhood is what uh, vampires versus uh, the Bronx is. But one of the ways you know that the neighborhood is quote unquote going to hell, that the vampires are showing up, is that Kid Miro of Jesus and Miro fame has as a menu item, instead of chopped cheese, chopped cheese on a croissant. So there's that, chopped cheese on a croissant. And that's when you know that it's end times, baby. That's when you know the vampires have shown up. All right, so uh, I'm not concerned about it melting into my drink. It's a 500 watt, 20 millimeter by 100, 20 by 100 millimeter. I can't speak millimeter. What is that, John? Give me that in inches. That's a little, that's three quarters of an inch by, which is about right, by what's 100 millimeters? It is like four inches? 3.93 inches. It's a little short, so I'm worried that it's going to blow itself up. So about the size you said in your book, it, oh, it works great, and my cocktails ignite. All right, however, I'm not getting much of those caramel notes you described, having tried your Red Hot Ale and Negroni uh, with a very sweet homemade beer mouth. Uh, is my unit not hot enough, or is my taste buds that are failing me? Also a question for Nastasia. How did you go from vegan face to becoming vegetarian? She's told you why, but Nastasia, I'll let you go for it. Um, because the only contact I had with, uh, anything that was alive was dead, uh, animal protein. And I thought that was really sad in the middle of, um, isolation and quarantine. All my protein's dead. <laughs> um, now I have that song going through my head, but with, with your lyrics in it. Uh, anyway. Um, well, I mean, look. I think what you need to do, uh, you know, Alexander, is do this for me. Just run the test where you make one just by boiling water, right? And then do the one with the red hot poker, and that is the difference I'm talking about. Maybe I just described it poorly in my book. But do that. Do the one where you just make it like newfangled way by heating up water like a chump on the stove and then burn one, and hopefully you'll get the difference. And also like certain spirits like change radically when they burn. So um, like a lot of uh, bitters um, and things change radically. Jägermeister burnt is delicious, delicious, which I only learned because Nastasi and I had to do the Jimmy Fallon show back when he was doing the Late Late, whatever that show was called. And um, and he liked Jägermeister, so it happened to be the winter time. So we tried burning and it turns out it was delicious. By the way, Nastasia, huge fan of, as we know, uh, what's it called? What's that show? Saturday Night Live. So I don't watch a lot of regular TV, but I started trying to watch Saturday Night Live now, maybe so like, you know, I can share this information with Nastasia, right? So that we have something that we're doing, right? That we can talk about later. Cause it's nice. We don't have a water cooler anymore. I can talk to her about it. Have you noticed Nastasia? It's the, so the only kind of local commercials I get are yeah. when I watch the Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. Have you seen, there's a, so New York, for those of you that, live elsewhere, you're probably inundated with political ads right now, right? Because it's election season. But in New York, because all of the elections are pretty much baked in, everybody knows in New York City, the Democrat is going to win whatever it is. There's no real elections here, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, so no one bothers spending advertising money on New York City ever. So we don't get political ads. It just doesn't happen right? Uh, sometimes we'll get ads that, like, we get a lot of ads telling us to donate money to other people's races that are closer, that we, where we can't vote, but they want us to donate money. But we get very few ads actually targeted at us in politics, so it's rare. So, but it turns out there's one race in Staten Island, which is a little island. It's the, it's the borough that's, like, off the coast of Manhattan, Staten Island, and it's kind of the Republican enclave of New York City. And so, 
the ads for Congress there are the funniest ads I've ever seen in my life. And the Republican there, because it's in New York City, doesn't have any money. So I've only ever seen the ads from the Democrat. Did you see those ads on Saturday Night Live, Saz? Uh, I get Connecticut ones here. But it's got to oh, be Max shoot. Rose. Damn. It's got to be that guy, right? Yeah, it's Max Rose. Yeah, and so yeah. when I first heard him, I couldn't believe he was the Democrat. So there's this guy who's actually in Congress right now. I don't know anything about his policies, anything. He's a, he's a, a, a vet, I think Iraq, not Afghanistan. I think he's yep. an Iraq war vet. And I, I just have to say, like, Nastasia, you got to look up. You would love this guy's commercials because he's like – her, is his opponent Wendy Malinakis or something? Nicole, I'm going to call her Wendy Nicole Malinakis. N- Nicole Maliotakis. That's it. Nicole Maliotakis. He's like, Nicole Maliotakis is a freaking piece of yeah, she's like, he's like, she's like a piece of shit. They're like, I can't say it. He's like, she's a freaking liar. She's a freaking scumbag. Don't believe anything when uh, Nicole Maliotakis says. He just goes off. He's like, he's like, he's like, when I was getting my ass kicked in Afghanistan, or where is it? When I was getting my ass kicked in Iraq, you, what was she doing? She was trying to shaft you here in New York. He just goes crazy. I was like, oh my God, this is a real congressperson. I was like, this is the best guy ever. And then he gets all these other people like, what's her name? Maliotakis? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, Maliotakis is a liar. Maliotakis is a liar. Maliotakis is a liar. And like going, I was like, oh my God, this is the best political ad I've ever seen. And it was like so aggro and amazing. And I was like, oh man, I kind of miss local TV. So I know Nastasia loves local radio because she gets to hear mm-hmm. like, you know, come to the church basement, get your sausage and pep, right? Like, that's why you listen to that's one of the reasons you listen to that stuff, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so like to be able to see that on TV, to see the local political ad with uh Max Rose trying to beat the crap out of uh out of the <laughs> it was like uh it was great. Anyway. Um We gotta go. All right. So next week Nastasia will be uh well you're not are you in LA or are you gonna be near closer to Covina? No, 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 no. I will be in. I will be in LA. You're not renting. You're not renting the house, are you? I no. I rented a different house. Are you in the hills, though? I'm not telling you to say exactly in, where you're going to say, but I'm trying to get a feeling. <laughs> I am. I am not in the. I am not in the Hollywood Hills, but I am in a canyon. Yes. Oh, oh. Are you doing the Laurel Canyon thing? I'm not. <laughs> Dave, I'm not <laughs> no, I'm not in Laurel Canyon. Well, the thing is, like. Like, you know, whatever. We'll talk about it later. Uh, next week. Uh, next week. <laughs> next week, we'll talk about how Nastasia is doing. Nastasia is going to have a different set of plants, a different set of people, different set of everything to be dealing with. Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.